I have a question? Sure. How question. long is this going to take? It shouldn't take a whole lot longer. Do you think I can get there before 129? Um, probably not. Uh, What's at 129? Well, I had a project to 160. Okay. the wrongful conviction of Brennan Dassey. Over the course of season two, we explore the constitutional errors at the heart of this injustice, the chaos of Kaczynski, and the techniques responsible for determining Brendan's fate. The conversation continues. Welcome to the sixth hour. five years. I've spent hours, days at a time, buried under the weight of the wrongful conviction of a Michigan High School special ed student who had gone to school on February the 27th, 2006, as an innocent 16-year-old kid, only to experience a macabre initiation into adulthood at the hands of local law enforcement when he left as a suspect in one of Wisconsin's most notorious criminal investigations. This profound miscarriage of justice is Brendan's story. I'm unsure about that, Your Honor. I have uh, received information that there has been an ongoing campaign by Mr. Dassey's co-defendant to uh, encourage him to obtain new counsel that might be more to his co-defendant's liking. Mr. Dassey, how do you get along with Mr. Kaczynski? Not bad. Does not bad mean good or what? Yeah. Do you guys fight when you're together? Can you talk with him? Yeah. Do you think he's doing what he believes to be in your best interest? Sort of. Tell me why you want to change lawyers at this point. I think he's... Daddy, I think he... No, he... I think he thinks I'm guilty. And that's the reason that you you want to get a different lawyer? Yeah. I don't see or hear anything that tells me that there is an irreconcilable... What Kaczynski did is absolutely indefensible. We haven't defended it, said Luke Berg when addressing Judge Wood on behalf of the Wisconsin Department of Justice during the Umbunk oral arguments of September 2017. It's as though he's, it's worse than having no lawyer at all. He would have been better off pro se. He would have been better off with somebody 
who was not helping either the victim's family or the prosecution. Judge Wood responded. To be a pro se litigant is basically to argue for oneself in legal and court proceedings. And on this day, the Chief Judge of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals opined that Brendan Dassey would have been more effectual representing himself than the catastrophic counsel he received at the hands of Len Kaczynski. Just a mere 10 days before he received the call from the Wisconsin Public Defender's Office to represent Brendan, Kaczynski had placed third in a primary for circuit judge in Winnebago County. Taking the case on the 7th of March, Kaczynski would not speak to Brendan that day. But he would talk freely to the media in what would be his modus operandi throughout his tenure. Simply put, the Dassey case was a vanity project for Kaczynski, and his affable pretense was nothing but a car crash of self-promotion that would help to seal Brendan's fate. So the question is, was Kaczynski really that damaging? Why, yes. Yes, he was. On March the 8th, Kaczynski spoke to the Post-Crescent, conducted a television interview with TV2, and was in contact over the day with a reporter from NBC26. You know, he told TV2 he always liked difficult and exciting cases, and this is one of them. You go, Len. Meanwhile, young Brendan, without any comprehension of what is happening to him, is holed up at Sheboygan Juvenile Detention Centre, where the iron leg cuffs are eating into the flesh of his ankles. March 9th, Kaczynski participates in an interview with NBC26. Kaczynski spoke without restraint to the media during the first two days of his representation. He spoke without restraint throughout his representation, but in these first two days, he spoke most damagingly of convictions, of guilt and of plea deals, and he beamed his demonic smile at anything with a flash. Yet he had yet to speak to Brendan or review the confession he spoke so freely about. Shame on him. March the 10th sees Kaczynski pre-alert the media that he's finally going to meet with Brendan that day. And he shows up to Sheboygan and surprisingly finds himself surrounded by a throng of media. He spoke to his young charge for an hour that day and then did another interview with NBC26. From March the 11th through to the 14th, the smirking Kaczynski continued his very own publicity campaign by speaking to local and national media, including the Post-Crescent, NBC26, Court TV, Dateline NBC, a Green Bay station, TV5 and Fox 11. And he would appear in court for the first time with Brendan on March 17th, after not having spoken with him since the 10th. He would also appear on the venomous Nancy Grace show that evening. And we get to the 20th, the 20th of March, which is two weeks since his appointment to represent a 16-year-old, highly vulnerable, intellectually challenged child, charged with the most heinous crime on the statute books. And Kaczynski has only spoken to him alone for one hour 
on one day. It would not be until March the 23rd that Kaczynski would begin to even review the confession tapes. And this egregious and apathetic behaviour would continue and escalate when aided and abetted by the snivelling investigator Michael O'Kelly. Sadly, sadly, Kaczynski would only meet with Brendan three times for approximately three hours in total between March the 7th and May the 13th. Yet the damage he inflicted, whether deliberate or through ineptitude, continues to impact Brendan's fight for justice and freedom today. And to think that the Wisconsin appellate judiciary determined that Kaczynski provided Brendan with constitutionally competent defence, despite his failure to preserve critical issues, and as Judge Duffin would write in his 91-page habeas opinion overturning Brendan's conviction, Kaczynski's conduct was inexcusable, both tactically and ethically, Duffin wrote. It is one thing for an attorney to point out to a client how deep of a hole the client is in, but to assist the prosecution in digging that hole deeper is an affront to the principles of justice that underlie a defence attorney's vital role in the adversarial system. Brendan was a child in desperate need of protection from the noxious, craven and conspiratorial adults who circled without thought for his young life or well-being or social and developmental challenges. And he would be failed by not only Kaczynski and O'Kelly, Fassbender and Uyghur, by the courts, the supposed fact-finders, and Miranda, which failed to give any warning whatsoever to the innocent and overwhelmed Brennan Dassey. Joining me in this episode is Professor Michelle Levine, a distinguished clinical professor of law emeritus. I was fortunate to welcome Michelle in Season 1, Episode 5, The Defendant, Brendan and the Bell Curve, where we took a deep dive into her analysis co-authored with speech and language pathologist Dr. Sally Miles, Under the Hood, Brendan Dassey, Language Impairments and Judicial Ignorance. In October 2019, Brendan's legal advocates filed a petition for executive clemency with Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers requesting the governor's consideration of either a pardon or commutation on the grounds of both Brennan's innocence and the extreme length of his sentence. Professor Levine was among those advocates, where with Dr. Miles, they peeled back the layers of Brendan's disabilities and gave insight and a significant aha moment for millions of people. The why of Brendan's confession finally and tragically making sense. In this episode, Michelle shares, as only she can, thoughts on Miranda and Kaczynski, with a slight nod to the temperature of Wisconsin's legal circles as the en banc played out. Our conversation continues. Today is Michelle Levine, Distinguished Clinical Professor of Law Emeritus. Michelle first joined the Sixth Hour in Season 1, Episode 5, The Defendant, Brendan and the Bell Curve, to unpack her analysis, Under the Hood, 
Brendan Dassey, Language Impairments and Judicial Ignorance, co-authored with Dr. Sally Miles, which provided a forensic look at Brendan's language, speech and communication challenges, as well as the communication of law enforcement. Having spent many years researching and writing in the area of language impairments and their impact and effect on the quality of justice afforded affected individuals, I welcome Professor Levine back to the sixth hour as we dive into the chaos of Kaczynski and law enforcement's tenuous relationship with Miranda. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks. You recently spoke to language impairments to the National Association of Criminal Defence Lawyers using Brendan's experience in the interrogation room as an instrument, particularly regarding Miranda in the context of an individual's communication deficits. What did that entail? How did that come about? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. We, um, it really goes back to having a speech language pathologist, and that's what Sally Miles is, involved in an analysis of this case saying, well, let's take a deep dive into the, the way that the language was used here. And in the course of it, we, she certainly did a lot of analysis of the interrogations. And, and if you look at the article that we wrote together, you'll see a lot of shocking numbers in terms of who talked and how they talked and why they talked. In the course of it, we spent some time with Miranda and I learned a lot because, I mean, I've been a criminal defense lawyer for over 40 years and Miranda is just part of my DNA. It's what I know, it's what I hear, it's, it's just part of it. And she looked at it and said, what on earth is this mess? And, you know, giving me a new pair of eyes. And when I put those eyes in, I went, oh my, 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 what a mess. So I, I've talked to um, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers a couple of times, but more and more, I actually focus in hard on the way that the Miranda warnings were given to Brendan as an example for lawyers to be on guard, watch out for what is happening with your clients because while this was shockingly bad and it really was, this happens all the time. And we have to, I realize as lawyers and as a legal profession, we actually have no clue how incomprehensible Miranda is. And when you pile it then with, with what was going on with Brendan, you know, they might as well have been speaking, pick a language, Mandarin. Hmm. And how is it generally received by criminal defense lawyers when you go out to talk to them? They're, you know, they're a little surprised because I think all of us take it for granted that everybody knows what Miranda means. Hmm. A number of years ago, when there were questions about whether Miranda was considered a constitutional requirement, then Chief Justice Rehnquist said it's part, you know, it's just basically part of our national culture. Well, it is, but it's a meaningless part of our national culture. Most people actually have no clue what it means. Hmm. And, and the reason for that, of course, is who wrote Miranda? Supreme Court justices. Supreme Court justices don't, on the whole, have, they, I mean, they've got disorders. I don't doubt that for one minute, but it, you know, in the language realm, no. So people are quite open to it. Actually, I'll give you an example of how telling and how bad Brendan's were. 
having nothing to do with lawyers. I gave a presentation for the Linguistic Society at the University of Wisconsin. And this was mostly graduate students in linguistics, a few undergrads and professors. And I said, I'm going to end with Miranda. And one of them later told me that he thought, well, why is she ending with that? Everybody knows that. So I got to the end and I said, I'd like you to see what these Miranda warnings in fact looked like. I ran them and you could see them kind of scrunching their faces up. And then I put the, put the words up and showed them exactly how it was. And they said, my God, how could anybody understand that? These are linguists. And I, in a lot of ways, that was really telling for me when people who dissect language for a living are saying, what was said to that kid makes no sense. So it's, you know, lawyers, lawyers are open to it. But in terms of language impairments generally, we're still coming to terms with what this actually means and how much this affects our clients. Yeah. Have you ever been approached by law enforcement agencies? No, I have not. One would think that that would be a likely audience for such education. Well, all right. So can I get cynical for a minute? Yeah, please do. They're perfectly happy with the way that it is. Hmm. The Miranda warnings, the standard Miranda warnings, which, you know, they, they, they change a little here and there, but they're pretty standard from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Police now know that if you read those standard warnings, odds are overwhelming that a court will admit them in the confession, anything that comes about afterwards, into evidence. And they'll say, this was a fine Miranda warning and it was understood. Now, that's, not, that's categorically not true, but the police have every reason in the world to want Miranda to stay exactly as it is. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's been a more noticeable appetite for more instruction in this area? I mean, it would seem it would be an essential part of any law school curriculum. The, the appetite is is growing. I mean, when, to follow the metaphor out, you're introducing people to a whole new, you know, kind of cuisine here. Yeah. Because while the speech language professions have known about language impairments and their connection with a lot of people who come through the criminal justice system for a hundred years, hmm. law doesn't. This is news. This is news to us. And so I'm still running around trying to, you know, tell people, look at this, pay attention to this, pay attention, pay attention to this. So slowly they're, they're acquiring a taste for it. And I'm, you know, I'm getting more and more inquiries. You know, is there somebody here I can talk to? Do you know of a speech language pathologist? Where can I find a speech language pathologist? What do you think of this? So it's, it, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. We're working on it. We're yeah. working. I'd love to get your insights on how Brendan's impairments intersected with the various Miranda readings he received. I guess, firstly, could he have comprehended even the most basic reading of his rights? No, absolutely not. We start with this. So how does Miranda start? A pretty standard reading. What happens is the police jump into it. You have the right to remain silent. You know, and, and already you have to start to say, what are you telling me? Why are you telling me this? Anything you say can be used against you. 
Well, to put it simply, what are you talking about now? What do you mean used against me? You know, sure, I know. I've been a lawyer for over 40 years. I know what it means to use it against somebody. Do you honestly think somebody who's 16 years old and really has no experience with the criminal justice whatsoever, other than his uncle being wrongly convicted, what does he think that even means? So if we, you can take it on a piece by piece basis, how much of this could he have understood? You have the right, right to an attorney and if you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. What does that mean actually? Yeah. <laughs> what are you telling me? All right, so at its most basic, could he understand that in the absence of anybody saying, let's have a long chat about this? Mm. No. Miranda warnings are typically read in a, in a paragraph. Before we start, I have to advise you of your, of your rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you at no cost to yourself. If you decide to talk to us, you can always change your mind. Later, understanding this, understanding these rights, do you want to talk to us? That's how, that's how it comes at you. Yeah. Very, very quick. Yeah. It's very quick. So could he have understood each concept that was being delivered, breaking it down individually? Certainly not in that kind of language. It would take, it takes work. Yeah. It takes work. Could he have understood it in a paragraph being spoken at him? No. With the fact that it ends with, do you understand? That is the world famous leading question that, that demands one answer and one answer only. Yes. Mm. Especially if you're a kid like Brendan. Yeah. And those that what I just gave you are pretty standard, cleaned up, minimalist readings of Miranda. So could he have understood it? No. Yeah. I mean, there's no chance he would have known to waive his rights. Oh, I mean, he, to, to, how do you assert your rights? It's actually quite hard to assert your rights. That's part of it. I mean, one of the things you've got to understand is, is Miranda is just the ultimate window dressing. Because it is very easy to waive, to give up your rights and to talk to them. It's very hard to assert them. In order yeah. to assert your rights, you have to say, I want a lawyer. And that's how unequivocal it has to be. I want a lawyer or and or I will not speak with you and I am asserting my right to remain silent. That's, that's how bold yeah. it is. Whereas, a, whereas to waive the rights, to give them up, to say, yes, uh, you know, sure, I'll talk to you. It doesn't really take much. Yeah. There's no way on this earth. Brendan didn't know what he was waving. Oh, good Lord, no, or that he was waving, or mm -mm, this was gibberish. Yeah, absolutely. And in your experience, do children tend to not invoke those rights? One, because they fear authority, and two, because it might make them look guilty? It might make them look bad. It's because, I mean, Children are by, by their nature compliant. A friend of mine who does juvenile law says, you know, kids are the worst criminals going. They confessed everything. Yeah. That's a sad statement. Yeah. Oh, well, and of course, you know, there is no difference in the Miranda warnings as read to a kid versus read to an adult. They're standard, they're standard. Absolutely. I mean, we know on 
November the 6th, for example, up at Crivets, Brendan wasn't read his Miranda rights. You know, that was obviously a custodial interrogation. On February the 27th, Brendan has read his Miranda rights. And one question I do have about that. Now, I know with Fraser v. Cup that police have a free reign to lie to suspects. But yes, they do. if Brendan was a witness, as Wiegert testifies during this interrogation, can police lie to a witness? They can lie to anybody. Yes, they can lie yeah. to a witness. Yes. I mean, it gives you a, it creates a problem for using that testimony later. Mm. Because when you know, out comes the witness statement and it appears that in order to get it, they lied. There's a, there's a foundational lie sitting in there. That's going to, re- that's going to cause some real problems. But they, yes, they can lie. It's insane, but they can and they do and they will lie. Um, one thing I'm going to ask you to do is when we start talking, that you have to speak up, okay? kind of like I am. Otherwise, the thing won't pick up real well. But before we ask any questions, Brendan, uh, I have to read your rights. It's just what we have to do. We've got those things, okay? Before you ask any questions, you must understand your rights. You have the right to you have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before we ask you any questions and have him with you during questioning. You have this right to the advice and presence of a lawyer, even though you cannot afford to hire one. We have no way of giving you a lawyer, but one will be appointed for you if you wish, and if and when you go to court. If you wish to answer questions now without a lawyer present, you have questions at any time until you talk to a lawyer. I have read the above statement of my rights. I understand what my rights are. I am willing to answer questions and to make statements. I do not want a lawyer, I understand and know what I am doing. No promises or threats have been made to me and no pressure of any kind has been used against me. Do you agree with that? Yeah. You have to speak up a little bit. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. And if you agree with making a statement, why don't you put your initials here and put your initials here. These are the two things I read to you. Okay. And I'm just going to put the place up here. Two Rivers Police Department. I'm just thinking in regards to the reading of Miranda at Two Rivers on the 27th. And something that Mm -hmm. that strikes me is what you would think is rote. Before we ask you any questions, you must understand your rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in court. You have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before you ask you any questions. And all of that, you go, okay. For me, I'd go, okay, I, I get that. And then it starts getting a little bit murky for me where it says, you have this right to the advice and presence of a lawyer, even though you cannot afford to hire one. So mm-hmm. I read that and I go, I, I can't possibly think of what Brendan understood or if, even if he was listening to it. But the yeah. idea of them saying that you have the right to some advice and a presence of a lawyer, but you probably can't afford one. And then the next line is we have no way of yeah. giving you a lawyer. We have no way of giving you a lawyer, right? Like, well, yes, and that's <laughs> here's where you start to see that this is this really is just it's a talisman mm. because the law of Miranda is quite terrible. And in the case versus Duckworth versus Egan, 
the police said to somebody, we, you know, you have the right to counsel, but we have no way of giving you, if you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you, but we have no way of giving you one unless and until you appear in court. And the United States Supreme Court said, well, that's fine because that's true. So you look at this for Brendan and you say, yes, I know in Duckworth versus Egan, they said that's true. But we now, a number of years, 20 years or however many years have passed since that horrible case. And we now know more about kids should you ever be able to say that to a kid? Because that makes absolutely no sense. Because you just turn back around on yourself saying, you can have this, but we're not going to give it to you. Well, then where's it coming from? Because in fact, what happens is if you ask for a lawyer, does a lawyer show up? No, a lawyer does not show up. What happens is they stop talking to you. I mean, really, you do a dive into Miranda. It's just and the interpretations of it, it's just crazy. Miranda does not mean what it says. You have the right to remain silent, all right? So I'm not gonna say anything. Except if you don't say anything, if you don't say, I don't, I'm going to remain silent, then you haven't asserted your right to remain silent. And if you say, I want a lawyer, a lawyer is not going to show up. Instead, what will happen? is that they have to stop talking to you. That's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. I think in the Two Rivers Police Department on the 27th, mm-hmm. it's Wiegert, I think he's... Oh, yes, it's Wiegert. Yeah, he, he's reading through the, the rights and then he has that little add-on, you know, no promises or threats have been made to me, no pressure of any mm-hmm. kind. Okay, Brendan, we're going to talk about what you had initially told us about earlier. Yeah, Can you state yeah. your full name, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so obvious that Brendan is only answering the question of whether Wiegert had made any promises or threats to him. Brendan doesn't indicate or demonstrate that he understood any of those rights, either individually or together. Well, first of all, there's so many, pro- and there's so many problems with it. And, you know, not to give a plug to the article, but it's, but that Miranda warning is in there and it's in the appendix. You will see it. You'll see the discourse analysis of it done. So you can see how screwed up it is. Uh, you know, kind of do some sentence diagramming here for a minute. Yep. Is you take a look and it goes. So it, it's always, it talks about you, 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 you also have the right to stop answering questions at any time until you talk to a lawyer. Now, in fact, I know what these forms look like. There's, there's actually, this, the next part is actually an agreement. It's a checkoff. Because we've now switched, the subject is changed from you to I. But he does it without any break. He says, you have the right to stop answering questions at any time until you talk to a lawyer, period. I have read the above statement of my rights. I understand what my rights are. I am willing to answer questions and make statements. I do not want a lawyer. I understand. I know what is going, no promises. Not, not even stopping after each one and saying, do you agree with this? Instead, it gets to no promises or threats have been made to me and no pressure of any kind has been made. Do you agree with that? It's like, agree with what? Yeah. What part? You've got about 19 choices in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. And, you know, I mean, that's, that is, in fact, the, the correct response is agree with what? what? What are you asking me to agree with? He goes, yeah. All right. Well, he said, yeah. Okay, that's it. That's fine. But look at that thing. It is a structural mess. Not that Absolutely. that was any of that was litigated, mind you, but yeah. it is quite stunning in its badness. Yeah. Even the idea of no promises or threats have been made to me at the beginning of an interrogation. Yes. It just lands odd, I think. Well, it does land odd. It particularly lands odd, you know, when you're talking about a, a juvenile. But, you know, what, what you're seeing here is, is we engage in legal fictions all over the place, especially in criminal cases and especially when it comes to something like Miranda. We've got a belief that it is, well, if you've heard it before, you understand it. That's not true. If you've seen it on television, you understand it. That's not true because as a friend of mine who defends some pretty hard cases, mostly with juveniles in Cook County, which is Chicago, she says, oh yeah, my clients have seen Miranda on TV and they know what it means. It means you're going to jail. That, this is just, it's an invocation. It's a chant. Are there people who assert their rights? Sure. But not very many. I mean, the, the confession rate is quite high. Back when Miranda, the Miranda decision came out in the 60s, police were, there was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. My God, no one will confess again. The confession rate has never gone down. It's way into the 90s. I mean, with the fact that there's, I think there's a couple of states that have different Miranda readings for children, but on the whole, Miranda is a one-size-fits-all regardless yes. of age is really wholly concerning and really concerning for the way the U.S. looks at protecting juveniles. Well, we, because we talk a game, but we don't protect our juveniles. We don't. I mean, we've, we've now gotten to the point, if you're under 18, we're, we're now not going to commit whatever crime gets you your penalty. We're not going to execute you. Well, that was years in the making. I mean, we're not ex at the forefront of this. You know, they, I mean, they talk about finally recognizing, you know, kids, you know, kids development is different and, you know, it's, it's a mitigating circumstance and, 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 but that, you know, those cases aren't so old. No, that's right. I recently spoke with Marsha Levick oh, yeah. from the Juvenile Law Center and we did a bit of a dive into the cases that have helped shape juvenile law but as you said you know they're not that old they're not that old but there's this huge chasm of time where Miranda has not been addressed or revisited not at all now the few cases where it has been and this is you actually saw this at work there was a case called uh, Yarborough versus Alvarado, and I don't remember the date on this, but it was that preceded Brendan. And they said, well, you know, whether determining somebody's in custody for Miranda purposes, because the fact that the police want to talk to you alone is not enough to trigger Miranda. You actually have to be in custody, which means a reasonable yeah. person would, would feel free to leave. That said, you know, age doesn't matter. Now that kid was 17. Subsequently, after Brendan, a case called JDB versus North Carolina came along, and it was a kid who was 13, 
Yeah. And it was in the school principal's office. Sound familiar? And they said, actually, you do have to take into account because it's an objective factor. Yeah. Is that the same with Gallegos v. Colorado? Well, you know, the volunteeriness cases have gone, have always focused much more on the individual characteristics. Right. Miranda, on some things you, you go into their individual characteristics and on some you don't. Custody with the exception of age, is a purely objective standard. Mm. So they don't look at the characteristics of the individual, but they have now, after JDB come, came along and they said, yeah, you got to take a look at their age because that's, up, that's easy for cops to figure out. They don't want to make it too hard for cops. And so the voluntariness cases have always merged all this stuff together. It's much more, you know, like a stew. This is, you know, this is, this is pretty, pretty straightforward. In Miranda, where you get into then all of the things is, is it knowing? Did the person understand it? And was there waiver of it? In other words, or agreement to talk to them, was that voluntary? And now you can start to get into what's known as the totality of the circumstances. It's all going to go in. Yeah. But the custody thing is much more cut and dry. One of the things that was really hard looking, looking at this stuff was that Mr. Kaczynski didn't even try. I mean, the state of the law at the time was such that no court would say ineffective assistance of counsel or conceding that he was in custody because the standard is, would it have made any difference? I mean, and so if you look at it from that kind of, it's really a disembodied sense. You see where this came from, but it's like, what the hell kind of lawyer doesn't even try? An ineffectual one. Well, yes. We've all lost cases. We've all lost stuff we should have won. We've all, you know, taken a swing for the, you know, for the, for the bleachers, hoping maybe this time, maybe this time, but you try. You give it everything you got. And this case is quite different from Yarborough versus Alvarado. And I think there was this easy case to make. What do you have lost? I don't know. That this kid was in custody. Certainly at the police stations. Yeah. That beggars belief. I've always thought the determination of custody is so particularly important for Brendan. Obviously, because Kaczynski waves the argument, even though the court Miranda gives little guidance on what it meant by custody, surely, surely any sentient being would think that it relates to a kid being in the back of a squad car or in a police interrogation room. You know, he doesn't have freedom of movement. He's not going to feel that he can remove himself from that situation. And that's, you know, and, and that is why when the court finally comes down with JDB versus North Carolina, they said, you know, look, and, this, and that was in the principal's office. They said, no, he's not. And we're kidding ourselves if you think that they, if you think that they are. Now, of course, there was a dissent. It was written by Sotomayor, who is my favorite Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> to say. Yeah. Because she is so not afraid to call it as it is. Yeah. But there certainly was a dissent. And I have no idea if this crowd we got now, if, they, if it came up as, you know, first impression now, how they'd rule. 
Yeah. When you, when it comes to Miranda, there is, I think, a sense of, well, we're saying this, we're doing our part. That's good enough. It's really weak. I think if I'm looking at the, the different interrogations and the different Miranda readings, we know on March the 1st that he's read something in the car, right? In the car, yeah. When he gets to the station, this is where obviously it, it's getting really serious for Brenda. Yeah. And all Weigert does is say, just so you know, um, I just wanted to just go over this real quick again. Do you remember these rights, your Miranda rights that I read? You know, and that is a technique, by the way, that they are taught. Oh, this is no big deal. This is just something we have to do. Yeah. They are taught to take whatever air is in Miranda to take it out. It's just nothing. I just have to do this. This is a formality. This is just yeah. a formality. To ask him, you know, you still want to talk to us, Brendan? Of course, Brendan's going to say yes. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember? And he calls him the Miranda rights. He calls him, do you yes. remember your Miranda rights? Right. What? Sure. Yes, I do. I mean, what's he going to say? No, I actually have no idea what you're talking about, old man. I mean, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. He does not intelligently or knowingly waive those rights. Or voluntarily. Yes. You know, no. Yeah. No, he doesn't have the characteristics that would allow him to waive those rights. I'm not sure it could ever happen. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could get it to the point where you could get Brendan to understand it. But to make it really honest, it would start with, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yes. You're in a lot of trouble right now. And we want to ask you more questions, but you don't have to answer us if you don't want to. And if you tell us you don't want to, we have to stop. And you could get a lawyer. And if you tell us you want a lawyer, we can't talk to you anyway. That's the kind of, that's how it would actually have to go. No yes. court is ever going to require police to do that because the police will be screaming bloody murder. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like Hamilton in the en banc descent. You know, many factors support the finding that uh, Dassey's confession is indeed voluntary. Start with the circumstances of the interrogation. As stipulated by both sides, Dassey was not in custody, in custody. when he admitted participating. That's right. We start there. Oh, but he had his Miranda rights and the court found he understood them. Yeah. Everybody's just, where is that even coming from? Where on earth is the evidence that this kid understood it? It is true that he said, yes, I understand them. That's true. But beyond that, what kind of record is there? In fact, well, you know, you're seeing so much suspension of disbelief in this thing. Yes, yes. Suspension of disbelief by the, you know, certainly by the unbound majority, you know, by that Obama appointee, Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> I would have expected more from him. Oh, but you know, he because you know, he dissented in the three judge panel. And I remember reading that dissent and saying to one of my colleagues, he thinks he did it. Yes. He thinks he did it. And that wasn't even the question presented to him. No, but he's once yeah. you get there, because he was quite convinced that he knew. 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I often wonder, does the guy ever think it? I mean, Judge Hamilton, is he ever, you know, awake at night? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know him. So, yeah. And he was yeah. about to call me and ask me, Michelle, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to tell me if you did. <laughs> yeah, I would. I 100%, I 100% would. I keep hoping, you know, sort of, you know, and not even in a in an ego way. Could somebody give us, give him our article and say, here, yes. read this. You might want to see Mr. He could tell he understood and he was in regular classes and, 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 and. I was yeah. looking back at it because, you know, I, you know, I retired in January and I've been, I don't know what I've been doing for the last year. I can't begin to, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Hanging out with my little dog, but we're going back through it and going, oh, oh, it's so painful to look at. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's easily sorted to get a golden bound copy sent to Judge Hamilton. Here, read this. Perhaps you'd like me to read it aloud to you. I'll do interpretive dance. What do you want? I'll do it. (laughs) I could do an audio book in an Aussie accent if you like, Judge Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. we'll get it in any kind of accent he wants. What do you want? What language would you like it? We'll do (laughs) it. Hmm. I know. And I think Miranda is a good segue into Kaczynski. Mm-hmm. Egregious bad lawyering. It appeared hard to be able to argue that it was coerced. Len Kaczynski was one of Dassey's original court-appointed attorneys. He says when he watched the confession tape, he became convinced there was no way a jury would believe Dassey was innocent. Kaczynski did try to get Dassey's confession thrown out. The defendant's motion to suppress these statements is denied. What are your thoughts after today? Well, we're disappointed in, uh, uh, we're start over. So Kaczynski steered Dassey to cut a plea deal. He even set up another interview with his client and the police. USD had his plan. Yeah, yes or no. An interview Kaczynski actually skipped because he says he had Army Reserve duty. How on earth could you opt out of that? With 2020 hindsight, yeah, it was a mistake. For his failure to attend that meeting. Okay, I want you to sign now. The judge removed Kaczynski from Dassey's case. Do you have a clear conscience? Yes, I do. Well, I did what I thought was uh, in Dassey's best interest. I don't think, though, those mistakes had any impact at all on the verdict in Dassey's case. As it relates to the damage he inflicted on Brendan, by, I guess, nearly every action he took, but particularly at the suppression hearing. Michelle, what happened at the suppression hearing? If you could talk to the constitutionally incompetent Kaczynski and what he, whether through a lack of knowledge or intentional ineffectual counsel, failed to do for Brendan. I think he believed it was voluntary. You know, and he was sort of going through it. He was sort of going through it because if he believed in it, well, it certainly would have lasted a whole lot longer than it did. And I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind, he had the school psychologist on the stand. And of course there was no connection up between them. He was just sort of talking about, well, he's, you know, got limited, limited this, limited that. And the question does come up I think it was there. I can't remember if it was there at the trial where about his language and, and she said, well, that's the speech language pathologist. You'd have to ask her. So Kaczynski did have the records of his, the, 
the psychological, the IEP, the, um, the individualized education plan, because he was a special ed kid. Mm. And, but the speech language assessment was in there. He did not move them into evidence. Yeah. So he just said, no, that's fine. We got it. It's like, you didn't even move them into evidence. They were in the school psychologist's file. At the very least, wouldn't you like the judge to see them? You know, I have never met Len Kaczynski. I'd actually heard of him before, even before this. And I think if, you know, if you follow him, he's unusual. That's for damn sure. Yeah. But his behavior from the very beginning should have been setting off flares, alarms, horns, sirens. To He was appointed by the public defender's office. They should have been... This man is out talking to the press, talking about his client's guilt, and we know that he hasn't even seen him yet. Yeah, it was horrendous. Kaczynski took the case on the 7th of March, and he doesn't get to Brendan until the 10th, but he pre-alerts the media that oh. he's going to meet with Brendan that day. Yes. I have this incredible timeline of almost every day of Kaczynski's so-called representation of, of Brendan. And it's just, it's mind-blowing. Oh, it's horrible. For example, on March the 11th through to the 14th, this is just one example, Kaczynski continued to speak to local and national media. This included reporters for The Post-Crescent, NBC26, Court TV, Dateline, NBC, a Green Bay station, TV5, Fox 11. Mm -hmm. And during this time, he clocked 0.1 hours emailing an investigator about the case. Right. So he, so he's got that. We know the day he's appointed, he's given his first press conference talking about this child's guilt. And that's where I, you know, see, I'm retired. As I say, you know, even in my last semester, I said, oh, I'm retiring. What can they do to me? I'll say whatever I want. At the point he's doing this, where's the public defenders saying, oh my God. Yes. Warning, danger, get this guy out of here now. And they didn't. He did not, nothing happened to him until they finally sent something to the judge after when he sends in O'Kelly, which is its own kind of madness. But this is just, honestly, I'm not sure this is any worse than O'Kelly. I mean, this is like, what are you doing? I mean, how many rules are you, of professional conduct are you violating? How many rules? Yeah, yeah. Like he said things to the press like, you know, I've accepted the case now and it'd be my greatest professional challenge. We have a 16-year-old who, while morally and legally responsible, was heavily influenced by someone that can only be described as something close to evil incarnate. And he goes on, he goes on, it goes on for days and days. And he's never met this kid. No. Once he's talking about him, he has never met this child. So, and again, it's like, is anybody concerned? Is there a judge up there who's looking going, wait a minute, we got trouble here. We got a lawyer who's saying crazy stuff. Where's anybody saying what is happening here? Yeah, there was zero oversight. Zero oversight. And that is, that is, that's a problem that we can, we, lawyers can get into that. We don't, we don't police our own particularly well. 
you know, even back at that time, they were having a hard time getting people to take public defender appointed cases because the pay rate was so low. That just got changed. Yeah. But, you know, out comes this guy and he's milking it for all it's worth. And where's anybody saying, oh my God, this yeah. is, this has got to stop. Yeah. It was just, it was a car crash in real time. Yeah. You know, it's what, March the 17th, Kaczynski appears with Brennan in court for the very first time, but he hasn't spoken to him since the 10th, but he has phone interviewed on Nancy Grace's show that same day. Oh, you bet. And then we get to the the 20th of March. And at this point, Kaczynski is approximately two weeks in on taking the case. And he has still only spoken to Brendan alone for one hour on one day. Yeah. The child is, you know, charged with the most ghastly crime known to humankind. It was certainly up there. And <laughs> and you you haven't talked to him. And he's 16. Yeah. If he's barely started, 16. Yeah. Yeah, barely. So that, I mean, let's say he's charged with a burglary. You'd spend more time with this. And of course, you know, he didn't raise, there is, you know, it, it would have been called a reverse waiver, mm. sending him back to juvenile court because he actually was juvenile, he was young. Now, he, of course, that would have lost. Yes, I understand that. But that's what I mean when I say, you go down swinging. He didn't even raise his competency to stand trial. Didn't even raise it. And so the thing is, is if, if that stuff's raised, yeah, you know, I know these systems well enough to know he yeah, undoubtedly he would have lost, but it would have now had it been done right, it would have clued the judge into this is what we're dealing with here. Yeah. You know, I mean, the notion that the, the trial court judge in Avery's case said, I got some serious concerns about this kid's confession here, so I've been inclined to not let it in. And he's, you know, I've got some real problems. Is anybody paying attention over down the hall in, in Brendan's yeah. case? I guess not. And, it, and they so weren't because even Judge Willis in the stipulation mm-hmm. lists exactly the case for not convicting Brendan Dassey. Oh, we're not going to have that. Yeah. We're not going to have that. Serious concerns with the confession, with the the supposed crime scene. Oh, there's, yeah. Like, where do you even begin with that thing? Yeah, but yeah. We recognized it. So where is anybody doing anything? And there comes a time when it switches when Brendan gets the two new lawyers. And they did ask that they motion to suppress be reopened and the judge oh no that's fine oh my lord is anybody you know i mean they at least kind of tried a little bit you were appointed was it on march 7th or march 8th march 7th march 7th okay did you talk to brendan on that day on march 7th i don't believe i did okay however you did uh talk to the press is that right Yes, shortly after the appointment, the calls started rolling into the office. Sure. I want to draw your attention to a news report from Channel 26 that says, we have a 16-year-old who, while morally and legally responsible, was heavily influenced by someone that can only be described as something close to evil incarnate. Right? 
That's what it says I said, but that wasn't me. Okay. Is there anything about this statement that bothers you? To say that we have a 16-year-old who's morally and legally responsible, uh, that would, in effect, admit guilt, and that is something you should definitely not say. Just for the record, Your Honor, Mr. Kaczynski testified that he did not make those comments, and this exhibit is being introduced as impeachment evidence to demonstrate that, in fact, Mr. Kaczynski made those comments. The court will receive it. Attorney Len Kaczynski immediately lashed out at Stephen Avery. We have a 16-year-old who, while uh, morally and legally responsible, was heavily influenced by someone that can only be described as and uh, the next day, you make the statement that if the confession is valid and admissible as evidence, it would almost certainly result in a conviction. Right? Correct. Okay. You still hadn't reviewed Brendan's statement, right? No. That's correct. The March 1st statement? Correct. All right. March 10th uh, appears to be the first time you went to see him. Is that? That sounds correct. Okay. Do you think with Kaczynski that there's an element of he just didn't know what to do or or what he should be doing. I think it post-conviction on Cross, he's been asked a question of whether client knowingly and intelligently waived his Miranda warnings. And he says, I don't think that's true. And he's asked, you've never seen that happen at a motion to suppress. And Kaczynski's, I don't know that there's a test available where an expert witness can walk into court and render an opinion whether somebody is capable of waiving Miranda. I haven't seen that. No, but they're capable of saying, could he understand this language? Is he vulnerable to suggestion? Is he, is he too compliant? Could he understand this? That's what experts do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kaczynski boasts that he served as a prosecutor or defense counselor more than 250 jury trials and represent clients in more than 350 appeals in state and federal courts. Yet he knew nothing of Miranda or read arguments. No. So what did he do for those people? Oh, well, I don't know. And, you know, yeah. as a prosecutor, I'm going to, I think he was, a, he did a lot of municipal, he was a municipal prosecutor. Yes. Yeah. And, and a judge. Yeah. cases. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, he could. I don't care if you tried a thousand cases. You know, if you do this, if you if you if you're bad, you're bad. I, I don't yeah. know, but you know, I mean, I just wonder where was anybody else other than Dean Strang saying, "Could somebody yes. do something, please?" Yes. You know, where was the public defender's office? Where was the prosecutor's office? I mean, I have seen prosecutors go in and say, Your Honor, we are very concerned with the quality of the defense. I mean, you don't see it a lot, but I've seen it in my life. Yeah. Where was the judge saying, I got problems here? Yeah. Yeah. Even at that suppression hearing where Kaczynski concedes that Brendan's not in custody, wasn't in custody during the Feb 27th interrogation or the March 1st interrogation, he specifically told the court, Based on the review of those March 1st tapes and the transcripts and also consultations with my client, investigator and other witnesses, the question of whether or not this is a custodial interrogation is not an issue in this case. 
<laughs> you know, and, and that's it. You know, it is likely, you know, given the way the judge was behaving, that he would have lost. All right. You're not going to try? Yeah. You are not going to try? And of course, the judge says, you know, the judge tries. I think the judge was a little concerned about it because the judge, the trial judge made a finding. Well, even if he had been in custody, he was he was doing an end run saying somebody's going to try to find, claim this guy was ineffective. And yeah. so I'm going to say it would have wouldn't have made any difference. He understood his rights. They were read properly and he understood them. Yeah, he was covering. Yes, because yeah. yeah. he knew he knew. That was a strange maneuver. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you hear it. Well, in the transcripts, you can see the the narrative coming back from the judge. It's kind of like, I'm sure if I could hear him, there's question marks at the end of everything he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to get my hands on a copy of the suppression hearing, but there just doesn't seem to be one available to, to have a listen to how that went down. I mean, I think there's only a transcript. I don't think it was recorded. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's an argument here when considering the two different iterations of Miranda on the 27th and the 1st for Siebert? So in Missouri v. Siebert, the court oh, prohibited yeah. the practice of obtaining incriminating statements prior to giving the suspect Miranda warnings, administering Miranda warnings, and then obtaining those same statements. Right. Well, you know, if they find he wasn't in custody, none of that matters. See, that's where you, you can okay. see this, this dog biting its own tail and spinning around. It yeah. doesn't make any difference if he wasn't in custody. And I'm not sure Seabird applies because they did read him his warnings. You know, that it's, it's not like that was a weird case because that was actually very common. Actually, that was not actually that was very common throughout the country talking to you first, recognizing that's going to be dumped. Yes. But then getting, getting, you know, now we'll get the confession. Yeah. So that, and, you know, I certainly saw it happen. I think it was a technique the cops learned. Really the question, you know, it really goes down to, was this a, well, yeah, he was in custody. There's no, that's absurd. But let's say he's not. Let's for a minute say he's not. We know that the, the, the Miranda can make a difference in voluntariness. And that's where it becomes relevant. If you say, well, even if he wasn't in custody, you can't say that he was read his Miranda rights because they were gibberish to this child. As part of his, all his circumstances, he's got all these things. And in many ways, that reading of Miranda, that kind of formulaic language that he doesn't understand actually could render it more coercive. That could actually be saying, wow, I don't know what you're saying to me, but okie dokie then. Yeah. So I, you know, it, 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 it should never have been ignored. I mean, but we can, how many sentences can we begin with? It should never have. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Put well, Feb 27th aside. The yeah. concession that the March 1st interrogation first. Yeah. was non-custodial, that Brendan's free to leave, they did not suggest otherwise to him because during the previous interrogations, 
Weger and Fassbender tell, you know, Brendan he's not under arrest, he's free to leave. But on the first, they don't offer those type of reassurances. There's no doubt he's in custody. Yeah, it's, it was supposed to be carrying over. There's no doubt he's in custody. By the time he gets to the station, by the then when when he's giving it, he's clearly in custody. Then you start to go to, okay, was the quick reading that he was given in the car? What about the, yeah, you remember your Miranda warnings. Is that enough? Is that enough? That's where you start to say, before you even get to, did he understand them? Was he adequately read his Miranda rights in this particular circumstance? And yeah, no, 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 he was not. And then you go into, would he have understood them? And that's when you can start to bring in, here's what happened on the 27th. Here's what happened on the 1st. No way on God's green earth, this child understood these things. Yeah. Why would Kaczynski have waived Miranda arguments? Well, I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong. That is something that could be used now if he hadn't have done that. Oh, good Lord. I mean, you know, absolutely. It would have raised a whole issue. He really could have gotten into, here's who this kid was, here's what he understood, blah, 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 blah. Well, obviously, you know, it's well beyond my pay grade to psychoanalyze that guy. But, you know, I mean, in my own sense, well, I I think we know he thought he did it, right? He also, you know, figured he'd lose. He figured figured he'd lose. I, I will guess that he probably did the research and knew about Yarborough versus Alvarado. He knew, you know, he had a basic knowledge of the law of custody. And he figured, okay, I'm gonna lose. So I'm guessing that's what this was. But, you know, again, it's hard to know because he, I mean, he assumed the kid was guilty before he ever met him. And he was learning as he went along because it's on the 8th of March, Kaczynski logs time and expense to research Lily v. Virginia and Crawford v. Washington. Cases relate to confrontational clause and confession admissibility. Yeah, and I think there's further logs that he makes where he's looking at different criminal cases. There's on March the 20th, he's reviewed a couple of other criminal cases to familiarise himself with the standard on voluntariness and a motion to suppress. The guy didn't have a clue what he was doing. No, really, we're reviewing the standards on voluntariness. You've just taken one of the biggest cases around. Mm. Um, I mean, yes, of course, yeah, you do the work, but it's like, what, what about these the cases with kids? Where yeah. are you? You know, why aren't you down there? You know, we uh, the public defender's office uh, in a couple of uh, in a couple of jurisdictions has separate juvenile units. Milwaukee's got one. Madison's got one. Why isn't he down there saying, talk to me about representing a kid? He's, this kid is 16. And of course, had they he done that, somebody would have said, well, number one, you ought to be asking for a reverse waiver. Get it sent back down to juvenile court. You will probably lose. So what? So what? You should be raising competence. Is this kid competent to stand trial? Again, probably lose. So what? The more information you can get in front of this judge about 
the you know the vulnerabilities yeah the susceptibilities the disabilities of this kid the better off you are don't you want to know i mean that he didn't even try to get this kid back into juvenile court that's number one give me this we're going to have a we're going to have a, a motion for reverse waiver number one thing happening and then number two he's not competent to stand trial yeah and kaczynski knew i mean he talks about brennan and he's like he added that he felt the word polygraph was above brendan's normal vocab level yeah and his experience with the criminal justice system and he described brendan's persistent denial as lacking passion and that he had a very flat effect. He didn't act like somebody that felt he was being terribly wronged by being in jail. He didn't understand who Brendan was on oh, no. any level. No. Well, I mean, number one, what, do, what does an innocent person look like exactly, Mr. Kuczynski? It's that kind of stuff. And yes, this guy, he, he like, who or what are you? On the other hand, where was anybody why wasn't anybody paying any attention when this guy all right forget everything else he's now on nancy grace and everything else mm -hmm. where's anybody saying you know that's actually not okay you know you're violating more than a few rules here not to mention client confidentiality not to mention duty of loyalty not to mention not to mention not to mention and not to mention you know, it, it's like, yes, you can, we can focus on him. But there's dirty hands everywhere. You can't tell me people didn't know. They would have to. It was the biggest case, the two biggest trials in Wisconsin. Yeah. It was, it was huge. When that thing broke, it was massive. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely massive. And so nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Is anybody up there in any of those counties looking, you know, they're seeing him on TV. Well, there's Lynn. He's on Nancy Grace. And you know, of course, that would have gotten local media coverage anyways. Well, Lynn Kaczynski's on Nancy Grace. Yeah, there's absolutely. a end of my time talking to Nancy Grace. Yeah. Where is anybody? When do we take some responsibility for this? As a system, we should all be ashamed, all of us. I mean, at some point, you know, Kaczynski started sending his motions and pleadings directly to the media. Oh, God. Do you oh, know God. what I mean? Yes, here, here, here I am. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Dude, dude, have you, you know, just forget getting fancy. We'll just read you some basic rules of professional responsibility here. Come on. Yeah, and human decency. We'll throw some of that in too. Oh, go, well, now you're going mad, Tracy. <laughs> I know, I'm losing the run of myself. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think this is a failing of the whole system, including the defense bar. Then you've got the state judiciary who approves oh, of uh, the representation. Well, they, yeah, because, you know, we have a standard, you know, the standard for ineffective assistance of counsel, like so many post-conviction standards, is how hard can we make this so that we don't have to reverse convictions? Yeah. 
And this is a big one because this would come to, well, the trial court, it's unlikely that given the law, they would have found this anyways. Okay, well, you know, you know, I, I, I would say Magistrate Judge Dufferin went ballistic on Kaczynski, but he was the only one yes. that talked about what happened to this kid. They rejected the argument that Kaczynski provided efficient performance at the suppression hearing. Well, because it was, you know, the standard, the, the Strickland standard was not litigated. And, you know, I've actually never talked to Stephen Laura. I don't understand, you know, what that was about. They, you know, I'm sure they had a very good reason for it. But, you know, they did go in with a conflict of interest standard. Well, it was, but it's like, you can start to see on how our legal standards for assessing attorney performance are hopelessly, hopelessly inadequate. Because Strickland did not get raised, it's like, except it was. I mean, who are we kidding? You know, because Strickland says, was it deficient performance? And if yes, you know, was there you know, a reasonable likelihood of a different outcome, right? You know, that's... Well, what we do instead, we say, well, it wouldn't have mattered. That's what Judge Fox did when he said on the custody issue, I find even if he were, I find this. He was doing that. He was basically saying, yeah. I'm covering for you, Len. Yeah. Even though he removed him. But he, doesn't he removed him under Strickland. For quite a while. He doesn't no, that's remove right. him until. It comes out that Len not only had O'Kelly, but that Len then fed his kid to the cops. Who does that? I mean, he was working for the prosecution. Both himself and O'Kelly obviously were working as an arm of the prosecution. Well, you know, I, I honestly, I can't begin to guess what their motivation was. I truly can't. He believed he was guilty. He, whether he thought, you know, he could get him a deal by testifying against Avery. I don't know. I don't know why he did that. I have no clue other than if he's, you know, maybe he's thinking this is where TV stands. This is how my career, my fabulous career is going to blossom. Yes. If by, yes. you know, appearing everywhere and saying that this kid is guilty. Oh, Jesus, Lord. Yeah. And, and it takes to the August of that year. So you've got Kaczynski for months on end running rampant around media. Oh. Um, and between March the 7th and May the 13th, he's only met with Brendan three, three times, times for approximately three hours in total, right? That's it. He spent so much more time with Nancy Grace and whoever the hell else. I don't know. See, I, I, I have to stop swearing about this guy because this is the thing that gets me crazy. Yeah. Um, yes. it, it, it does make me it does make me crazy. And again, though, OK, so remember, Brendan first asked for another lawyer previously before mm. before Kaczynski's removed. And Fox didn't give it. I mean, but there's Kaczynski fighting him on this. Oh, he just doesn't want me because I'm doing such a good job and this and this and this and this and this. It's like your client wants another lawyer. You know what you're saying? Let me help you get one. Yeah. 
that's and then the judge says this this was like a, I guess a knife in the heart when he says you know to Brendan tell me why well he thinks I'm guilty well that's not good enough yeah that's all this kid could say uh, what are you saying he's supposed to articulate a, a reason why mm, that's not good enough yeah. we're gonna stick you with this guy who is fighting you Kaczynski wanted to stay on this case because this is a I guess I you know this is a it was a vanity project. Oh, it was a vanity a great project. Great way of putting it. Yes. Oh, I get to be on. The yes, press. I get to be in the press, and you know, and for God's sakes, he bills for being on Nancy Grace. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, and it takes to the August for the state public defender's office. Yes. Only after the May thirteenth yes. comes to Finally, light. Finally, they're saying we're decertifying you. Yeah. But everybody knew. Yeah, Every, yeah. there's, there's, like I said, share the blame, people. We all got dirty hands on this one. And it's so incredibly unfair. Yes. Oh, God. It's, it is incredibly unfair. So you see the, you know, we cut, co- we, we cover for our own. We don't interfere. It's like, oh, we know this is bad. We know this is bad. We know this is, we know, you know, this is bad. You know, I'm sorry, if Dean Strang knew, and he's representing Stephen Avery, if he knows how bad it is, don't you think that Judge Fox knew? Don't you think that, I mean, yes, Ken Kratz knew? Don't you think the public defender's office knew? Everybody knew. But nobody cared. Well, that's not to say that people like Dean Strang didn't. I spoke with Dean a couple of weeks back, but he cared. <laughs> he but he couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. And he, you know, you run up against it. Isn't that I'm not? I I can't say that it's that nobody cared. It's that you're looking at a bunch of of bureaucracies that are sort of into their own little thing. And well, we don't interfere. We don't do this. We don't do this. They don't, there is really very little oversight. certainly in the private bar. So if I now, if I'm appointed to a case, you know, I'll do my, do my case. Nobody's going to be looking at me. Whereas if I were, you know, back in the public defender's office, you know, my boss is going to be sitting there going, what are you doing with this? You know, the first time I talk to the press before I talk to my client, my head's on the chopping block. Yeah. Do you feel that Kaczynski, even now, in some way, has tarnished the reputation of public defenders in Wisconsin? I, I, I certainly think for a while when they kept saying he's a public defender, he's a public defender. No, he's not. Mm. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah. No, he is yes. not. Yeah. No, 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 he's not. I mean, he's so bad that he, he does almost seem, you know, sort of sui generis, that there's really only one of him. But, but you start, but what you start to see is well here's an example of the difference that what a bad defense attorney can do to you you know and by the way no he's not a public defender he's his own special kind of guy that's that's a polite way of putting it michelle (laughs) you know and it's but it's 
it's like, how did he develop this way? And how was this allowed? Yeah, yeah. What culture nurtured Len Kaczynski and, and his behavior? And allowed this, you know? I mean, I don't doubt that there were complaints about him beforehand, and yet it was allowed to continue. Why? Why? I know someone who studies ethics a lot, and one of the most violated rules is you're actually supposed to turn in lawyers that behave unethically that you know about. We never do that. Wow. No, yeah, I mean, there, there is. Yeah. There is, but, you know, not, what is it, nothing's ever happened to Linkachinsky because of this. Nothing's, I mean, even Ken Grass, yeah. is he suspended for a few months, uh, I think, maybe, for his wildness? Yeah. But not to do with the case. Not, yeah. You know, Len did get into some stuff with his latest. And I don't know if he lost his license or just was removed as a municipal judge, but. You know, you've got to, it, it, it takes work. It actually takes a lot of work to be disciplined as a lawyer. Yeah. yeah there's, there's something incredibly wrong with that. Yes. Yes. So I, you know, I, you know, like it, it, I, I'm going to say, you know, I, I, I think I must be part of the problem. My profession is part of the problem. It's the same with law enforcement. It seems like these, um, groups are a law unto themselves oh so god like and that's coming out more and more and more and more and more coupled with judges let them get away with it you know we've set legal standards and we apply those legal standards in ways that basically says you know have at it looking at all of those arguments that have been lost to time. Is there any arguments left? Anything that could be relitigated from this, I don't know, this buffet of bad lawyering? It is a buffet. It's, it's like the biggest, most horrible American kind of buffet, old country buffet, you know, where you get yeah. 9,000 calories at a sitting. <laughs> yeah. And then you have cake. Um, <laughs> Oh, the idea of a buffet. Oh, yeah. Well, it is It is a buffet. I wonder if buffets will, will survive pandemic. Ooh. Well, you know, you talk to Dean. I mean, the, someone, somebody like Dean understands post-conviction work actually much better than I do. I am a trial court preacher. That's why I'm more than happy to go off on, on Len Kaczynski. Yeah. I, you know, Wisconsin's got a few procedural things as, as messed up as Wisconsin is there's there's some procedures where we're actually not terrible and somewhere you've got to find an audience that says if you can get over the hoop if you just get over that of, of meeting the, a bare standard that you hit you know this legal standard then you've got to find a judge who wants to do it you I mean it, it that's the thing with so much of this discretionary business that we have. The judge actually has to be convinced that they want to do this. I mean, discretion is actually says, well, you can operate within these parameters, but within these parameters, have at it, have at it. So I would say, you know, if you, somebody who knows a lot about post-conviction and these kind of these kind of things, I used to work with someone named. Well, Keith Finley, he was one of Stephen Angel's original oh, yes. lawyers. 
I've heard it. Yeah. And, um, you know, Keith is freaking brilliant and understands the permutations of post-conviction work really, 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 really well. So is there something, I mean, I would get somebody who really can say, diving along, we've got maybe this, we've got this, we've got this. Having said that, you then have to commit, make the judge want to do this. The, the judge has got to believe that this is the right thing to do. So it's tough. I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, courts are in the business of, of upholding convictions because they don't want to have to revisit them. The whole idea of finality again. Oh, we yeah. love our finality. We love finality. It takes precedence over the truth. And that is oh. so at odds with a justice system. Yes, in so many ways. I mean, you know, uh, EDPA, the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, thank you, Bill Clinton, um, you know, it exists to keep cases out of court. What a horrendous piece of legislation that was. Oh, good Lord. And that was, like I said, that was Bill Clinton. We didn't have to get a Republican to do that. They were more than happy to do that because we can't have our judges upset that they've got to take a look at something. It was reasonable. Oh, my God. Yeah. The idea of something just being reasonable passing muster when someone's liberty yep. is on the line is just horrendous. Well, it is, and especially since, so they look back at the Court of Appeals, and if you look at the court, the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, and if you look at their decision where they deal with the confession, it's a paragraph. Yes. It's yeah. a paragraph, and so that's how they end up actually going back down and taking a look at Judge Fox's decision, and they're just like, well, this looks good. This is reasonable. I mean, I, I, and the standard of reasonable basically means not insane, but I'd have to say, I'm not sure this even could pass that, but it's so horrible. It's so horrible. I mean, and the, the quality and the tone of the dissents really speak volumes about how hideous this is. And it, it doesn't make me proud to be a lawyer. It doesn't make me feel that the system that I've spent 40 plus years toiling in is particularly legitimate. You have to look at this and say, my God, who are we and what are we doing? And I think that's why it's resonated so widely with people yes. from all walks of life. Yes. Like literally it's a global support base. Yes. I receive messages from people. I had one the other day from Botswana. I believe it. Good. On a very basic level, people get it. Yes. And the idea that the judicial system doesn't or that the judicial system doesn't have a pathway for correction for Brandon is mind-blowing to shocking. people like me. It's yeah. shocking. But, you know, to be honest, the handwriting was on that wall when that two-to-one decision came down. From the three from the Court of Appeals in Chicago, when it was two to one, it was like, uh-oh, warning danger, warning danger. And, you know, and nobody, I mean, there was, it is rumored there were people in the Department of Justice here who were saying, leave it alone. Don't, don't take it further. Oh, man. There are people that were, you know, offended, but, you know, we gotta, we gotta have our win. And once they took it, once they took it, there was serious concerns that that uh, Brendan didn't have the votes 
because they knew how it played out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just listening to the on bunk orals was very harsh. Oh, it was rough. I mean, Judge Hamilton, really. Mm, 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 mm. And Sykes, I think it was Judge Sykes. Oh, Judge Sykes. Oh, she's just, oh, for God's sake. Her ex-husband, I don't know if you, you you probably know more about Wisconsin than I do at this point. Her ex-husband is Charlie (laughs) Sykes, a never Trumper. He was a big conservative radio guy in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. She started out as a trial court judge in Milwaukee. And so Charlie Sykes is her ex-husband. And, but there she was. And it was just, it's just so cold. Yes. So incredibly cold and detached from any sense of what, well, what is right. Yeah. And that's such a good way to put it because there was, a real sense of where is their humanity in this? Yeah. Where are they as people when they go into a case such as this and, and they're deciding, again, the liberty of <laughs> someone who was a child? Who was a child, yes. 16 years old, he's a little, you know, look at him. But the way they did it, well, he was in regular classes. I mean, don't even get me started on that. He's in regular classes, right? It's called, you know, that's called the federal law. It doesn't, believe yes. me, he wasn't doing chemistry. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like you could just talk in circles oh, I, it, around the ineptitudes and uh, the missteps and the errors that people have made and in representing Brendan up until Northwestern and, and Stephen Drizzen and Lauren Ryder stepped in. It, and they are, and then they still are up, look what they were still up against. The extraordinary arrogance of judges who think, well, I know what's best. I know how people are. I, I can tell the hell you can, no, you can't. I mean, that's one of the really big problems. Uh, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a judge. And I said, uh, are, do you guys get training in sort of, you know, in, in psychology and humans? He goes, well, we just had training. Uh, this is exciting on uh, juvenile brain development. I said, well, that was new 20 years ago. So you're finally catching up. That's good. <laughs> You're right on top of things there. Um, <laughs> a little ways to go yet. A ways getting... to go. <laughs> you know, when they sit there and they say, you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, Brendan, you know, the, 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 the judge not believing his testimony. It's like, well, one, how would you know? And two, is, is anybody figuring out, should the, you know, could this kid even testify? Of course not. Ugh. Yeah. It's just... It's nothing, it's nothing that we should be proud of. Let me say that. Yeah. And it's how do we correct this? If we don't have clemency on the table and Mm -hmm. perhaps there's not an avenue through state court, does that mean that this innocent young man doesn't even get looked at for parole until 2048? Yeah. How egregious is that? That is outrageous to me. Yes. It's it's grotesque. It is truly, this whole case has been grotesque from start to finish. Whether you are talking about the way they extracted his confession, the quality of his representation, the decisions that were made in 
his case, pick it. Take a pick. There's nothing that we should feel good about. Not one blessed thing that we should feel good about in this one. Yes, on appeal, he had very good lawyers, but you know, the deck is stacked against you when you're coming in afterwards. Yeah, that's right. And your arguments are limited. Yes. So here's what here's what this is, and here's this. And, you know, and everybody, and these lawyers up there, you know, justifying, oh, I shouldn't be found in effective assistance, both Lynn and the two lawyers that, that tried the case. You know what? If I screwed a case up that bad, I would hope that the ghost of my mother would come and stand in front of me and say, you get up there and you admit what you did. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Like that whole idea of Fremigan not playing the last 40 minutes with Brendan recanting to his mother, thinking that was irrelevant to show yeah, right. the jury, that that's irrelevant. That that's irrelevant. Edelstein, you know, Edelstein on some level knew about Brendan's communication things. He mentions it a mm. few times, but he does nothing with it. Nothing with it. So he ends up with this, the psychologist and has her read a sentence from the um, speech language assessment. At no time is there any attempt to connect it up or anything else. And then just says, no further questions, move the admission of these things. It's like, I, I, can I be honest? When I read that in the transcript, I started to cry. Yeah. I started to cry. I'm so pained by, again, you didn't even try. I mean, like he kind of knew, he sort of rode by it and then just, and so what's a jury to think? What is the jury to think? They don't know what this means. They don't know what these speech language assessors are. They don't know any of this. They certainly don't know about false confessions either. Well, good they Lord. weren't given any instructions. So. No, because, you know, then they, you know, the state would call it, you know, this creature from, you know, Reed. And Buffy, so what yes. we, didn't want to, we didn't want to get into having a battle with that. And it's like, oh, Lord, you know, yeah, yeah. they are going to fight you. It's true. You go in and yeah. you present a defense, they're going to come back at you. And you got to be ready to come right back at them. That's what you do. It's called my job. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like, okay, we, do, you know, we don't want to get into a battle of the experts. No, you do want to get into a battle of the experts you because you've got a kid here that's depending on you for his life. So you go and battle anybody. You go battle anybody. And it's like, we don't want to get into the battle, but you did. Okay. You knew this guy Buckley was going to come. There are plenty of people who could have told you how to handle that guy, including Steve Drizzen. There are plenty of people who knew what the problems with Reed were and could have helped you come up with that. That's what we do. If I don't know something, you know what I do? Well, you know, back at that, I, you pick up the phone or you send an email, help. I will get in my car and come and see you. I will buy you fabulous coffee. I'll give you chocolate, whatever it <laughs> takes. But can you help me with this? Because Buckley's coming in. Right. And even by then, back at that time, they knew Reed 
had no business being used on a kid. Well, it shouldn't be used on humans, but, uh, it, but it certainly shouldn't have been used on a kid. Absolutely. I mean, it, it destroyed Brendan Dassey's life. Oh, 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 God. Oh, my, you know, just, you know, and I start with this. I think it's fair to say the Michigan public schools are probably not resource rich. Even they knew that child needed speech language services. Even they knew. And they delivered. You know, yeah, here's this. He's still got these serious, he's still got serious shortcomings. All right. That's the Michigan public schools. This is a this is a system-wide failure. At virtually, you know, every stop along the way. Every stop along the way. It failed. And he was failed. Yeah. Oh. Miserably, by all sorts of people who were supposed to be looking out for him. If you could leave listeners, Michelle, with any thoughts regarding Brennan's continued fight, what would they be? Oh, you, you never give up. You don't give up. The heart of it is finding somebody who wants to do the right thing for this kid. And then we just do a little creative thinking. There are some really brilliant post-conviction people, including Dean Strang, who can say, do this, do this. Never say never. For sure. There's a lot of work to do yet. There's a lot of work to do. And, you know, if I'm 98 years old and living in a home and still have any cognitive fire left in me at all and somebody says would you come in and talk about brendan dassey to some judge bring me in i will come and get you come and get me <laughs> come and get me i may be two feet tall by then but i don't <laughs> care oh you won't be on your own i'm at five foot one as it is <laughs> bring me in yeah i i'll talk about this because you know, it's like, and this is one of the things, I mean, when it was happening, we knew how bad this was. We did. We knew how bad this was. I knew how bad this was. There may have been some attempt to make sure that he had a good post-conviction lawyer and, you know, things happen behind the scenes because they do. So this is no surprise, but I'll tell you what, when I started working on this article and started going through, there were times I just had to stop because it made me question my own professional choices. It made me wonder how on earth I can say I belong to this profession. What, is, what possible legitimacy could there be to any of this? What, what could it possibly be? I, I mean, I, I was outraged. I was ashamed. It just goes on and on and on. I, I don't think I've ever had such an emotional reaction. Certainly, this wasn't my case. I mean, I, you know, certainly could get myself pretty much foamed up about my own cases, but I was crazy. I mean, it, believe me, I could give a, a short course in, you know, <laughs> in very creative use of, you know, foul language while reading transcripts. <laughs> That's an audio book I'd buy, Michelle. <laughs> 
Tally, she got very used to phone calls that would start with, she'd pick up the phone because obviously she could see with me. Yes, yeah. listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's it's so important that people like yourself, people who who have the knowledge and have the skill and have the voice are outraged. Yeah. I think it's so important that... Yeah. Brendan needs people like you to be totally outraged for him because if we're bystanders, nothing will ever happen. That's right. That's right. Right. We have to, we've got to stop hiding behind these legal standards. That's what's got us right here to 2021 still saying, is there anything? We have hid behind our disembodied legal standards for the duration of this child's case. You know, we can do a dance. We can say, no, Len wasn't ineffective because it wouldn't have made a difference. And because of this and this and this, it's like, this kid was done wrong. One, he's innocent. All right, we'll start there. But if we're all fired, worried about process, well, the process fell down at every subway stop along the way. Yeah, that's one thing that Dean Galini actually said to me was, that he would like people to, just for a moment, put the guilt and innocence question aside and that Brendan be released on the, the process, on yes. the failings of what happened in the system, yes. the investigation, everything that happened. Every single yeah. thing. If every single thing. Oh, it just, it's astounding. My, I, my sister watched it. My sister watched Making a Murderer. I think she got through episode four. She said after a while she couldn't, which is, you know, I totally fine. But I said, you got to watch episode four because you got to see this. And, um, and she just couldn't believe it. And then she just read the article. And, you know, I mean, my, my sister is not a law type at all. And she said she couldn't stop crying over what was done to him. We just need to get Governor Evers as moved. Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. you so much again for your time. You're welcome. It's, it's so important to hear other people, you know, feel passion about this case and about what was done to Brendan. Yeah. Because I think it, it reinvigorates people, you know, well, when, when they hear it. it. It does. I found myself, you know, I went back through and I said, all right, let me see this. I want to see, you know, what did the trial court judge say about doing this? And then just talking to you, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm fired up. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, so so thank you very much. You're so welcome. You're welcome. And yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure the listeners will get a, a lot out of this again. Kaczynski did is absolutely indefensible. We haven't defended it, but so he was removed. So he's not representing his, it's as though his, it's worse than having no lawyer at all. He would have been better off pro se. He would have been better off with somebody who was not helping either the victim's family or the prosecution. He was removed eight months before trial. But, but the harm was done. 